Thank you, Robert. Good morning to everybody. Isn't it great to be here today? Think about all our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are meeting together as the Lord's church in their specific areas and locations and countries around the world to do what we're doing here today, to worship God, to honor him, to glorify him, to remember our Lord and Savior and his death on the cross. And we're doing that as well. And that has been going on since the church was established almost 2,000 years ago. And it will go on until the Lord comes again. I have absolute confidence in that. Let us and guide us and pray that God will always guide us to be the church that he wants us to be here on this earth and in this location here at Sunny Slope. Nothing more, nothing less, but nothing else either. And so let us continue to be that church. If you're visiting with us today, we are so thankful you're here and we pray that it will be a great blessing for you. Your being here is a great blessing for us. And if you have not yet uh, filled out a visitor's card, we hope you'll do that. Leave it on your seat so we have a record of your presence. We want to remind everybody of all of our requests and our prayer list, but also North has informed me just a few moments ago that his brother-in-law who has been on our prayer, our, our prayer list for a long time uh, did pass away. And so we want to keep that family in our prayers as well. Seven attacks on our faithfulness. Seven attacks. We're not talking about attacks from some other foreign country or some monarch or some despot somewhere in another nation or even someone who takes to violence in our own country. But we're talking about seven attacks on our faithfulness from the devil himself. Faithfulness is the open demonstration of our faith. Now, I hope we understand that. I know I keep emphasizing the difference between faith and faithfulness and the faith. Faithfulness is the open demonstration of our faith as we consistently live by the teachings of God's word, which is the faith. Our faith is based on the faith, the word of God. And as we put that into practice accurately and correctly and consistently, obediently, that's our faithfulness. That's the open demonstration and expression of our faith. Faith is our personal belief in God and Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, we see the, the biblical definition of real faith, true faith. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is not a blind leap in the dark. It is not just something that somebody has a really warm feeling that has overcome them. It is based upon objective truth that we can read about and we can study in God's word and also the, what we can experience as we live our lives before God in faithfulness, faithful obedience. In Hebrews 11 and verse six, the, the Hebrews writer said, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who would come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus said essentially the same thing about believing in him as the savior, God's son. In John chapter eight and verse 24, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Our faith develops as we study God's word, understand it, and then make the proper applications to our lives. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. The apostle Paul wrote, if you continue in the faith, 
the faith, the teachings of God's word, the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, and notice the faith and gospel are used in parallel terms there, referring to each other and explaining each other as to what is meant, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so we need to not just believe, but we need to continue in the faith, and that is faithfulness. Colossians 2 and verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So we need to not just believe, but we need to put it into practice in our lives, and that is faithfulness. It is our consistent dedication to live obediently before God according to the teachings of his word, the faith, which from which our personal faith develops. We look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, holding fast the faithful word as has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. It's not something that's happenstance. It's not something that's, oh, kind of come see, come sigh. Whatever strikes your fancy, whatever feels good, but no, we need to hold fast to the teachings of God's word. They need to be our life. Now, what I keep emphasizing is they're the basis for the development of our faith. We understand what faith is because we're instructed in it in God's word and our faith must be our life. Not a part of our life, but it must be our life, guiding us and directing us and governing us and in the way that we live our lives on a daily basis. So we think about what Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. A whole lot of people will say, I love the Lord, I love God, oh, I have so, such faith that we're so close, and they live a life that is absolutely opposite of that. Jesus said, if you truly love me, you're going, to live, you're going to obey my commandments. You're going to live by my teachings. In Revelation 2 and verse 10, the last part of that verse, Jesus said, be faithful until death. In other words, all through your life. And I actually like the King James rendering here. It uses the word unto rather than until. And I think the sense there is, even if your faith ends up in the event that you have to give your life, for your faith, you still stay faithful. And when we look at the early Christians for the first couple of hundred years or so of the existence of the church on this earth, many of them gave their lives for their faith in God and in Christ, in Christianity. So be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So since our eternal reward is, is, is tied to our faithfulness, or the lack thereof, we need to give proper focus, keep proper focus on living faithfully all through our life, every day. In, the devil is going to do whatever he can to attack our faithfulness. We need to recognize that. We need to always be on guard because he will use whatever means he can to attack our faithfulness, to weaken our faithfulness, to try to pull us away from faithfulness. The apostle Peter 
identified him, likened him to a roaring lion. Then he says, be vigilant. Now that's always standing firm and ready on guard because your adversary, the one who stands against you, your enemy in other words, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's us. He's looking for a way to attack our faithfulness, our faith in, our faithfulness to God and Christ. Knowing this, that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So he's always out there, always what, what, looking for openings and weaknesses. And he's always on duty. We need to always beware. We need to always be on guard. Seven attacks against our faithfulness. I want us to talk about those. Now you could probably, in fact, undoubtedly come up with other avenues of attack that the devil uses to try to break our faithfulness and even our faith down. But I want to talk about seven that, that probably we could all relate to and say, oh yeah, I, I, can, I can think about that. That's absolutely correct. Well, the first one would be temptation. Temptation. The devil is masterful at challenging our faithfulness through seemingly attractive temptations. In fact, Jesus pointed to this danger when he was explaining the parable of the sower. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 13, he talks about one of the groups of seed that was sown that had fallen on the rocks. But notice what he says, the one on the rock are those who when they hear, they receive the word with joy. They receive the teachings of Christianity, of God, of Christ with joy. And they respond with joy quickly. And these have no root, though. It's kind of more surface level. They haven't made the deep commitment to live the life. And so they believe for a while. And in time of temptation, they fall away. In time of temptation, the devil knows our weaknesses personally. I call those Achilles heel temptations. Every single one of us has particular temptations, maybe one or two or three, to which we individually, personally are susceptible. For some people it might be drugs, for others it might be alcohol, for some it might be both, for some it might be sexual temptations, for others it might be gossip or lying, whatever it might be. It might be stealing or theft in some way. But every one of us has some particular temptations, maybe just one or two or three, but they're different for every one of us. And so the devil knows, I'm going to hammer that person over and over and over again in these areas because that's where they're weakest. He knows how to do that. He knows how to surprise us with temptations. He knows how to effectively exploit our weaknesses. In James chapter 1, beginning with verse 14, I appreciate Robert reading the greater text a few moments ago, verses 12 through 16. And I would encourage you to keep that particular text in mind, reading it over and over again from time to time. But in verses 14 and 15, James wrote, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. Now there's those Achilles heel temptations, the ones to which we individually and personally are most susceptible and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Death? We die physically because of sin that has been brought into this world, into the conscience of mankind, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, 
and Genesis chapter 3. Physical death is a reality because sin became a part of mankind's lifestyle, his conscience. And so God removed mankind from the Garden of Eden where the tree of life was there and forbid him to have access to it any longer. Physical death is a reality. But the greater focus here, I believe, is spiritual death. The wages of sin is death. Sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59. And so that's spiritual death. If we die physically while we're already dead spiritually, then we have the possibility, if not the, the probability of, of having to deal with the second death, which is brought out in Revelation 21 and verse 8, which is eternal condemnation in hell. We need to be aware and we need to be on God of sins, deceit, uh, be, uh, need to be aware and always be on guard of sins, deception as the devil portrays it through temptations of various kinds. The Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning with verse 13, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold, if we hold, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. The deceitfulness of sin. Devil, the devil tries to make sin look good. And he also tries to make righteousness look bad. The deceitfulness of temptation to sin. The second avenue of attack the devil uses that I want to bring out is, is just worldliness. Boy, we, you talk about worldliness all around us. Worldly living. That is evidenced in all kinds of sinful lifestyles. We see it everywhere. We're bombarded with it if we watch TV or we read various kinds of literature. If we listen to radio, even music, it is all the way through. The allure of worldly living confronts us at every turn every day, it seems, virtually at least. Paul and Demas, Paul said Demas had forsaken him. Notice what he says. Demas, one of his co-workers, has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Even Paul was seeing people leaving him because of their misfocus on the world. Now, maybe he's simply talking about their physical lives. They wanted to stay alive physically. But whatever it is, we could make the broader application of saying, People love the ways of the world and they walk away from Christ because of that. Because they don't want to live the lifestyle that says I can't take part in some of those things because they're ungodly. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, James says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world, in other words, connecting ourselves to worldly living, puts us in a position of enmity or strife with God? You see, the two are not congruent. They don't go together. A godly lifestyle and a worldly lifestyle, they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. They're opposed to one another. They contradict one another. And James goes on and says, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now you talk about a statement that ought to open our eyes and burn into our brains so that we never forget it. That is one of those. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, John the Apostle wrote along this line. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. 
For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, we cannot walk with God and walk in the ways of the world. Or let me put it another way. We cannot walk with God and walk with the devil at the same time. It won't work. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And let's make it more personal of this world in which we're living right now. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We can look forward to eternal life with God in heaven if we distance ourselves from the worldly lifestyle and we walk with God in faithful obedience, faithful obedience. You know, a lot of times people will say, well, yeah, in fact, I just did a series of podcasts in today's Bible class that's, that, that begins airing, um, I believe, today. And, and so I, I made the point, people will say, you know, you're missing out. You're not going to the drinking parties. You're not, you're not taking part in, in, in drugs. You're not, you're not messing around on your wife or your husband now and then when you have the opportunity. You're missing out. That Christian life, it is so dull. It is so boring. I tell you, I have a lot of fun living the Christian life. And that's somebody who is narrow-minded or narrowly focused as to what they think good life is. God offers us the abundant life. In fact, in John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So I don't have to wake up in the morning fighting a hangover. I don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder where was I last night? What did I do? I don't have to worry about that because I'm not living that kind of lifestyle. And that's the lifestyle of, of the Christian. So we're blessed by not having to live that lifestyle. Look at Moses' example. By faith, Moses, when he, became a, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing or fleeting pleasures of sin for just a period of time. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses could have stayed in that palace he would have had all of the advantages and all of the riches. But Moses chose to follow God rather than to live in the ways of the world. The third method, a line of attack that the devil uses is a moral lapse. A moral lapse. Our spiritual strength will be weakened by an unclean conscience. So we need to take our moral lapses, and we have them at times. We mess up in a moment, but we need to not remain in those lapses. We need to take them to God and seek his forgiveness and his strength. When we read the psalmist in Psalm 32, beginning with verse 1, blessed is, is, is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In other words, again, he's been forgiven. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then he, he, he speaks to his own experience, how he dealt with a moral lapse, apparently. He said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. 
You see, there's torment in knowing I'm living wrong in not taking it to God and asking for his forgiveness and deliverance and his strength to deliver me from that kind of sin again, to protect me and help me to be strong so I don't give in to that moral lapse another time. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Have you ever seen somebody who was burdened down? They were, they, 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 their life, their, 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 their thinking, their conscience was, was weighed heavy because they had done something, they had lived in some way that they knew was wrong and it was, it was just weighing like an anvil on their shoulders. And then they were taught about forgiveness through Jesus Christ. They were baptized and the blood of Christ cleansed them of the guilt of their sins and they looked so different, so different. The anvil had been removed. Their conscience was clean. They had been forgiven. We need to learn the lesson from David's moral lapse as laid out in 2 Samuel chapter, chapters 11 and 12. He made an initial mistake and that led to another blunder and ultimately dove deeply into sin and it affected not only himself but the woman that he was lusting for and then her husband whom David had basically put to death to try to cover up his own sin and then the child that was born through their adultery, child died. And ultimately there were consequences down the road that David and the people suffered because of his moral lapse. We need to realize that walking with God is the best walk we can take. A lifestyle of godliness is the most not only fulfilling but it is the most joyful lifestyle that we can live. The fourth method of our plan of attack is that we need to recognize that doubt, the devil will place doubt in our minds. Doubt after doubt after doubt. Do you really think Jesus went to that cross? Do you really think he was the son of God? Do you really think he came forth from that tomb risen? Do you really think that everything you read in the Bible is true? Do you really think that somebody who's never come to God through Jesus Christ is lost? Do you really think those people who don't even believe in Jesus and other religious persuasions that they're not saved, that they can't be in heaven? Do you really think the life you're living, you're trying to be faithful, but you're denying yourself some pleasures here and there, do you really think that's, that's worthwhile? Doubt after doubt after doubt after doubt, and the devil is skillful at planting them over and over and over again. Doubting can weaken our faith and lead us to unfaithfulness. James wrote in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him, who, let him ask in faith 
with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For not, let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. We have to make up our minds. We have to settle it in our, in our thinking. Doubting cannot be a part of our dedication and faithfulness to God. Romans chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. And the apostle Paul is writing here specifically about uh, some particular action. And, and Christians weighing that back and forth. Can I do this? What if I do this? What, if I, what about others who think about this? So he says, do you have faith? And I just want to come to the ultimate conclusion. Do you have faith? Have it to, your, have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. You're thinking about, should I do such and such? You know, that really looks, that looks attractive. Should I take part in that? Should I go there to that place? Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. I need to have confidence that I'm, whatever lifestyle I'm living, whatever decisions I make, that those are godly and that God would approve of those. The fifth avenue of attack that the devil brings that I want to bring out and this one is, is so prevalent. Boy, we can relate to this, can't we? Making it a regular practice to miss worship and Bible study with the church. We explain it away through all kinds of, of rationalization. But when we absent ourselves on a regular basis, and so often it's really for trivial matters. Now, we might throw up our hands, wait a minute, it's not trivial. I, I had a real reason. Okay, yep. Think it through. Think it through. So often it's for trivial matters. Sometimes we can't help it. But so often we just make excuses. And I've said for, for many years in teaching, I don't have to go through all kinds of mental and spiritual gymnastics <clears throat> every Saturday night <clears throat> or Sunday morning. Am I going to be at services tomorrow? Am I going to be there for Bible class that early? Am I going to be there Wednesday night? I already settled that in my head decades ago. I know where I'm going to be. I don't have to go through that. But so many people, they're going through that, that all of that turmoil in their heads because they haven't made up their minds spiritually. We need to be careful because careless and purposeful forsaking of the assemblings together as the church, with the church, can lead to spiritual callousness. It becomes easier and easier as time goes on. When we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, and many of us could quote at least verse 25 just in rote memory off the top of our head. But you go back to verse 23, let us hold fast, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. How can I do that? Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. How can I do that? not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, but all the more as you see the day approaching, exhorting one another along the way. See, how can I do that if I'm not with my brothers and sisters? How can I stay strong? How can I gain from their strength? And how can I contribute my strength to them spiritually if we're not together? 
The devil wants us to think, though, you don't need to be there. You don't need that. That's too much. That's over the top. That's, that's just, you know, uh, going too far. Just hit the bare minimum and be satisfied with that. The fifth, or the sixth, rather, method of attack is persecution. Persecution. The temptation is great to give up faithfulness in the face of persecution for our faith. But persecution is going to come in one form or another. Jesus said so. In John chapter 15, verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now, thank God that probably not a single one of us here has ever been beaten up because of our faith. Probably nobody's had a brick thrown at them because they stand fast for Christianity and for Christ. But you know, those kinds of times may come. Some strange forces are working in our culture, in our very country right now. And I'm not exaggerating but probably a number of us have been persecuted in other ways, verbally, emotionally, psychologically, by people trying to challenge our faith and our dedication. Perhaps the most disheartening persecution comes at the hands of fellow Christians sometimes. When they cause us problems because of some kind of personal conflict, Read 2 Corinthians, the entire 13 chapters, Paul deals with problems that he was having with his brethren in that particular congregation in Corinth. How they were criticizing him, persecuting him in a way. And he was answering their charges and their challenges. God will always be with us. He will always watch over the faithful Christian. And he always has that promise, look, Remember, be faithful until death, and we'll receive the crown of life. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning with verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Revelation 2 and verse 10, the full verse, the church was being warned about persecution coming. And Jesus said, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. I remember reading a newsletter from a brother in Christ in a Middle Eastern country, I believe. And he was talking about teaching the gospel and how people were being baptized in an open body of water. But he said, we have to keep our eyes open on the landscape around to see if anybody's watching us because they could have been arrested for what they were doing, baptizing people into Christ. The last one, I want to bring out the last line of attack. We can all relate to this, and that's fear. Fear. Fear is used by the devil over and over and over again. Fear 
can paralyze. In fact, there are a whole lot of people who have never become Christians because they were fearful that they could not live the Christian life faithfully. Or they were fearful as to what kind of repercussions might come upon them by people they knew if they turned away from those worldly lifestyles and started living the Christian lifestyle. The Lord said to Paul on one occasion, they were in, he was in the city of Corinth doing the work of preaching the gospel there. And virtually every time we read an account of his being in some city preaching the gospel, some kind of persecution arose or some kind of, of, of challenges faced him. And so the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And Paul stayed and worked in that particular city longer than he did in almost every other city where he went to preach and teach the gospel. In John chapter 14 and verse 27, the night of his betrayal, the next day he'd be on the cross, Jesus told the apostles, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, the apostle Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We can face the devil in all of his lines of attack with confidence and assurance, not haughtiness, not arrogance but with confidence and assurance because we can know that God will be there with us and he will strengthen us and sustain us in the face of all that the devil might throw at us. We can live the faithful life. God would not ask the impossible of us. Now we might feel confident that we would never lose our faith in God. But we might find ourselves in danger of turning away from faithfulness to him. Faith without faithfulness is dead faith. Colossians 1, beginning with verse 21, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. He's talking to Christians about how they had lived before they became Christians. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. If, that big word, that conditional word, if you stay true. James wrote in James chapter 2, beginning with verse 17, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, if the active lifestyle of service and dedication is not there, evidencing our faith, in other words, faithfulness is dead. That kind of faith is dead faith. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. James says, show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. We need to be steadfast. 
1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, Paul said, watch, stand fast in the faith. Be strong, be brave. The devil's always going to be active out there. He is like that roaring lion, roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He will hit us in those points of weakness in our lives. But we can have confidence that God will see us through if we will stay true to God. We need to be careful. We need to pay attention to our faith. And we need to always pay attention to our faithfulness. If we can help you in some way to be stronger in your faith, to put your faith into action through your faithfulness, to help you to stay strong in your dedication, your faithfulness to God and Christ, we want to help you. We'd love to study with you if that's what you need or what you desire. We'll make the way for you to be able to do that. If you're ready to respond to the invitation the Lord extended almost 2,000 years ago, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. Are you ready to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Christ as God's Son, your Lord and Savior, and be baptized into him for the remission of your sins? We want to help you with that. If you need the prayers of the church, just ask us. We'll pray with you and for you. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?